Good morning and welcome to a Back to Work Monday where normally we're able to put the salve of a lion's victory on our back to work wounds, but not not this morning. That was a horrible display. Not only do we not have Lloyd to sing, it, it feels icky. It feels like something's amiss with the Lions team. I still think it's not SOL though. You know, I there's so, there's something there's something wrong and it needs to be fixed. The, 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 as you pointed out, the defense. We know what the deficiencies are in the defense. What right. we weren't prepared for was just the incompetence of the offense. And can I just say, and I know it's a, it's the, it's the vintage Detroit wine, but uh, how many times can we have the uh, the offensive lineman wrapped around Aiden Hutchinson before there's a holding call? Yes, there are certainly missed calls, and I know Aiden has talked about how he's unhappy with himself for jumping off sides during that one play. And it was a bunch of sort of boneheaded errors that led to a lot of Classic Chicago Lions points. Errors. Yeah. I mean, for us that are, you know, have, have long memories, they were finding new ways to lose again. Um, it, it was, um, it was just disappointing. Like as Dan Campbell came out and said, like, we're going to be fine. They haven't lost two in a row this season. They're going to bounce back. It just was disappointing because you want to just be more confident as the season winds down with four games to go. You still have a two-game lead. You have to play the Vikings twice. So it's in your control still. But as my husband made this point, he's like, it's going to be imperative that the Lions host a playoff game. They're just better at home. No question. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? We want it, we want it for the fans. We want it for the city and, and everything else. So we'll be talking to Lomas a little bit later on, uh, see where he is in terms of where he sees this team headed and where the fix is and if the fix can come in time. Uh, they're they st- still two games up. I, you talk about an awful game. Vikings-Raiders, 3 nothing. It was a baseball score. <laughs> that was, it, it was t- horrible. <laughs> and, you know, if you have gripes of Aiden Hutchinson holding, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs have some gripes with the refs as well that called back the game-winning touchdown. So but the guy was not even towing the line. He he was a good, you know, six inches over uh, on that offsides call. And I, yeah, this, you never see Mahomes lose his, uh, lose his cool, and he did. He certainly did, and he made his comments on the podium, and he was just like, you know, this is not – we shouldn't be talking about the refs. You should yeah. let the humans that are playing the game – Handle it. It was an amazing play. It was a pass to Travis Kelsey, and as the defenders closed around Kelsey, he lateraled back. I can't remember who the his right, teammate the was, but carried, guy, it, but carried it to the uh Would have end zone. been the game-winning touchdown, yeah. but it was called back. Yeah, so they have another loss. Correct. Uh, Matt Stafford couldn't pull a rabbit out of his hat either. Um, in I mean, there was a, there was a lot of... Uh, the Eagles. Have another Is loss. Is that two in a lo- two in a row for them? Well, I'll double check. You know, that but I mean, that. it shows that even the the, the, the best da- teams are are having slumps. Right. Right now, there's parity in the NFL. You can lose every week. The problem for the Lions is the Cowboys look pretty good. <laughs> they have to play the Cowboys. Oh, they are. They're on a roll. Yeah. Yeah. And, so uh, Eagles ten and three. Lions nine and four. Right there. Uh, we have some breaking news this morning, and it is in the uh, the murder of Samantha Wohl, the uh, Jewish community leader, political activist who was uh, murdered in her home, found outside her home, dead of stab wounds. Um, I think there had been an, an, an operating theory here that this was a known subject that was involved, that she knew her attacker. Now a second suspect, a different suspect, uh, has been taken into custody, according to the Detroit News. Uh, this comes from a variety of sources. Um, it is not an acquaintance of Samantha Wool's. It appears to be a random stranger. 
Uh, so changing the complexion, it, it was a horrible murder. Um, they hope that they have their uh, person. We will see if and when they are charged today. But the fact that it was a random act is going to be more than unnerving uh, to, to her neighbors and uh, to, to, to all um, who had been kind of operating, I think, over a, a desire for comfort. Yeah. This is someone that she knew. Especially as a woman case. who yeah. maybe you live downtown, you're like, oh, okay, well, if she knew the person, then then my safety may not be in danger. But it, it's scary that it might have been a stranger. But the source is reiterating, Sunday that there's no evidence that her death was a hate crime. No. And, and yet, you know, we're going to learn more here about the right. motivation of this individual. Now, you remember that there was uh, someone that was taken into custody about 72 hours after uh, her murder. Uh, that person was an own acquaintance who gave, a, gave apparently a very fuzzy statement to police. So they took him into custody, ultimately released, and now they've gone in a different direction. So we'll see if there's a press conference on this today. Um, but uh, in in the meantime, happy that there is progress there and perhaps some justice awaiting her. The Did you get a chance to see uh, Ethan Crumbly speak for himself yes. and his victim's families? Yes. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a broader spectrum of emotion and also courage yeah. that was on display on Friday. Looking directly at him, well, speaking directly at him on behalf of the people that they've lost or who were injured. And I thought that was very brave. Bearing witness for the, the children that won't, won't be with them for the holidays, but also siblings. Yeah. Uh, drawing into contrast what they what they had dreamed of doing with their sibling as they grew older and what life, what they thought life was in store and how that's been disrupted. In the end, uh, Judge Kwame Rowe did what Ethan Crumbly, and forgive me for naming him, but it would do what the shooter himself had asked for, which was full responsibility and said, you know, there is no issue here of mental competence. When you look at the planning, the execution, the level of detail in planning, this was not a disrupted psyche there. This person was fully in command of their faculties and was able to do this. And uh, the interesting part of it uh, is uh, he, by claiming responsibility and saying no one else is to blame, is that teeing it up for perhaps him testifying on behalf of his parents? That's what I thought, too, when that came out that he said that. Is he trying to help his parents in any way with his statement or that he will be involved more? And we'll be talking to Prosecutor Karen McDonald coming up at 649 this morning if you want to come back and visit. And uh, I, I'm also curious as to whether or not that was uh, some uh, some role playing on his part, whether you actually believe that he accepts this responsibility, whether this was an attempt for him to say the right thing in the right moment. He'll say whatever, you know, the wherever the wind is blowing it seems yeah. so it, it's hard to trust him and what he has to say especially when you look at this and you say this is a psycho when you when you, you look at the journals and you see the videos and and things like that this is a, this person's a psychopath and a sociopath and we'll say whatever they um i'm interested to, to talk to karen mcdonald about the first minor originally sentenced life without parole since 2012 there's lots of historic uh, um Things to this case, especially her charging the parents. So I'm interested to talk to her at uh, 649. Well, and also um, going forward, will these kinds of sentences uh, be solid in the future? Or will right. we see a more liberal Supreme Court down the way say, well, because there is medical evidence that their brains aren't fully formed, that all of those convictions have to be vacated? 
Um, there's a, I mean, there's, there was a movement out, and there were, you know, you heard his attorneys make that, right? Uh, make that pitch. Um, the uh, there was a a, a a hopeful sign today. I don't know if you saw Saint Anne's Church. Yes, they have restored the this bell. This is a nice story. It's a wonderful story. They have restored the bell at Saint Anne's Church. Twenty five years it has been silent, and uh, because uh, swinging it might have resulted in its coming loose from its moorings and falling. Uh, but they've managed to restore it, and the the bell will be heard again. I would, did not know about the history of this church. Founded in 1701, the second oldest continuously operating parish in the United States. I didn't know that history, but it's right there. Well, we've got so many historic churches in this community, and so many of them have been shuttered, which right. is a shame. And in this case, one was silenced just because of age and, and decay. Well, um, silence no more. And, it, you know, it was, it was funny listening to the rector saying, I I don't even have to pull a rope anymore. All I have to do is push a button on my phone and it well, rings itself. Well, technology's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Uh, one final note, political note this morning. A new poll out uh, conducted by the Wall Street Journal shows Nikki Haley in a head-to-head match against Joe Biden would beat him by 17 points, a much larger than Donald Trump uh, when he is tested against the former president or against the current president. Um, so, it you know, if you, all things being equal, it would seem that Nikki Haley would be the wiser choice from Republicans, even though right now she's she and Ron DeSantis are getting beaten by a, 30 points combined uh, in, in, in most polls. And again, we're now not even six weeks away from the Iowa caucuses. People are just coming out left and right. They want different options than Trump and Biden. I mean... Um, on Meet the Press the other day, or on Sunday, they were talking about how maybe Joe Manchin could come into the race. Everyone's just like wanting yeah. something different. And, and uh, Nolan Finley, our good friend of the Detroit News, saying that he thinks it's time for the No Labels Party to draft, uh, to draft Nikki Haley. And we're going to be talking to Nolan about that and also something that he and I experienced personally last night. And we'll talk about it a little bit later on. But yeah. we, we witnessed the Hamas video. Uh, I cannot believe you watched that. And the, I want I want to know more, Guy. Uh, some members of the Jewish community, the Simon Wiesenthal Center, want people to bear witness to what happened on October 7th because the denial machine is, is in full bore. And so they want members of uh, the community to see that. And there's a lot I can't talk about, a lot I don't want to talk about because of your sensibilities in, in the morning. Uh, but there are things in it that were sh- shocking beyond just what happened and we'll be discussing that with nolan coming up at 8 19 if you can come back for that in the meantime we're going to take a short break when we come back we'll get caught up on the uh business headlines for the day with our friends at cranes detroit business at 6 19 this is news talk 760 wjr on this back to work monday let's check in with cranes detroit business uh, for the business headlines uh as we uh look at the markets this morning the uh, futures are uh, all in the red right now trending lower. Uh, This is off of a University of Michigan uh, Consumer Sentiment Index, which jumped a whopping eight points, a dramatic improvement from uh, just a month ago. Apparently, uh, folks are looking differently at the economy. They see inflation improving, and that's beginning to get traction. Whether that's enough to help Joe Biden and his fortunes, unclear. But there are a lot of other big stories to get to this morning. As we say, good morning to Mike Lee, managing editor of Cranes Detroit Business. Mike, good morning. 
Good morning, Guy. How are you? We're great. Interesting deep dive that you've taken into the state of the home buying market, uh, especially for first-time home buyers. Yeah, we are in our Cranes Forum section uh, this month. Uh, our real estate reporter Nick Manis looked at, at, at the state of you know first, as you say, first-time home buyers starter homes such as such as they exist. Uh, it's pretty rough out there for for, for those folks. Um, one of one of the real estate broker sources called it a trifecta of terror. Uh, you know, interest rates at seven and a half percent. Uh, low supply of homes on the market, uh, largely because so many people already have mortgages in the you know in the threes, and and feel the uh, the golden handcuffs of, of of a low rate, and and prices that are still rising in Metro Detroit, unlike some places in the country. Um, you know, buying a home for the first time is is is, is scary and confusing anyway. But it, it it's it's a it's a, it's such a strange market now. Uh, with so few homes on the market that uh, you know young people find themselves in bidding wars and and, and that sort of thing, um, and and the payments are uh, the payments are are, are scary too. Um, part of the problem uh, is that not very much housing is is being built, and what's being built is in higher price ranges uh, by and large, especially in Southeast Michigan. Uh, building permits are at a low are at a low in Michigan uh, that we haven't seen since 2011. Um, you know, which is the, the tail end of the of the, the recession and the real estate meltdown. So uh, the, the, that that's that's step one in in getting this turned around. There are policy solutions that can encourage the construction of housing. There have been some small measures taken in Lansing along those lines. Um, one bit of good news: it's in, if you want to buy, it's not necessarily good. But rental housing, there's been a ton of construction uh, of apartment complexes and that sort of thing. And that's expected to ease the, uh, the the pain of of high and rising rents so uh, that, that's that that's a bit of good news but uh, it's by and large it's a it's a, it's a rough environment out there for uh, for first-time home buyers and Mike you know a lot of talk about elite universities the UPenn president resigning Harvard's president is sort of on the hot seat there's an article coming up in Crames about the stability of Michigan's research universities Yes, we uh, last week, of course, uh, Michigan State uh, named a new president, uh, Kevin Guskowitz from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Seemed like a pretty big win for MSU at a at a time when it when when the university needed it. Um, what that means, once he starts, we'll have uh, permanent presidents for all three of our big research universities: U of M, Wayne State, and MSU. For you know, permanent presidents who aren't actively being. Tri- actively being attacked by uh, by members of the of their boards in an attempt to fire them at really for the first time in in recent memory really they've had interim presidents at MSU uh the uh, so 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 this is actually seems to be good news for those universities and they're out people. of staters they're, they're, they're all outsiders to the state Santa Ono came from from Vancouver uh, Kimberly Andrews Espy at Wayne State came from Texas, and now and now uh, and now Dr. Guskowitz from from UNC. Um, it seems to raise some hopes, at least in my mind, of of, of some new thinking and, and and maybe some new ideas for cooperation. Uh, University of North Carolina is, of course, part of the uh, the research triangle in North Carolina with uh, Duke University and North Carolina State. Uh, that uh, that's that's been so successful in landing in research dollars for those universities and spinning off technology into new companies. Mike, he uh, says and, he 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 that he's. I mean, the the one thing that's underpinning this though, he said he 
sought assurances that he could do this job without undue interference. Just the fact that he had to ask for that is a giant red light. It, it, it really is a red flag. It's, uh, he would have been a fool not to ask for that. <laughs> True. Uh, based, on, based on recent track records, uh, you know, put that line in the sand at the beginning and, uh, and, and see what happens, but it, at least it's been drawn. Um, you know, MSU, MSU is, uh, its board is, uh, is, is, is a wild card in this. So we will, uh, we'll, we'll have to see if he really gets the freedom that, uh, that, that he's, he's demanded. In terms of the, uh, the, uh, climate that, that we're in, um, in, ter- in terms of the business climate, what did you make of the consumer sentiment numbers that came out from, uh, University of Michigan last week? And also the, the jobs report, which shows that this is still a, a very strong jobs market. What do you think that is the Fed is going to have its uh, meeting this week? What do you think that means? I, I think I think to, to, to some extent, uh, people's perceptions are catching up to reality and they, they are seeing that inflation is easing um, the uh, you know, you see sort of the uh, the, the, the gimmick the gimmick stories of the $18 McDonald's bill and, and things like that. But, uh, but, 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 but by and large, the big price increases seem to have, to have eased wages are continuing to rise high profile raises at the UAW and whatnot, but that that's happening across the economy. Um, I, I, I think that that, you know, that has people a little, a little optimistic for the first time in a while, which is, which is a good thing. Um, as far as the strength of the economy and whether the Fed will finally stop, uh, be, you know, pu- hit pause on raising interest rates, uh, it, it's a good question. It, it, I, I think the uh, you've seen uh, we haven't really seen much of a right. much of a slowdown from those rates, so uh, <laughs> they may be continue they may continue to raise them. Well, and the question that everybody is asking now is when will they cut them, and we'll await that answer as they meet this week. Mike Lee, thanks so much. Thanks. If we want to compete in this ever-changing economy, we need to have uh, the best educated and the most talented workforce that we can possibly attain. And to that end, the governor and business leaders have set a 60% uh, bachelor's degree attainment goal by 2030. So how are we doing when it comes to reaching that goal. It appears in some cases we're getting a little closer, but also the the path to get there seems to be getting steeper. And uh, we learned about this through the education and talent report that was generated by this, this kind of a, a very candid assessment that was generated by the Detroit Regional Chamber of Commerce and its president and CEO, Sandy Barua, joins us live uh, on JR Morning at uh, this morning. Sandy, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you all. Let's let's start with the good news that our bachelor's degree attainment is up. So we're making some progress towards that goal. Yes, we are. Uh, you know, the seventy-one percent of the students in the region uh, uh, who have enrolled uh, are getting are getting degrees. Uh, that is the good news. I would say probably the best news. Uh, the Detroit Promise Program that is administered by the Detroit Regional Chamber for students in the city of Detroit, which provides them either a two-year or four-year pathway to a tuition-free collegiate experience. Of those students that go to college through the Detroit Promise Program are graduating at a rate higher than their national peers, because these are primarily 
black American students. And if you look at their graduation rate at 62%, nationally, it's only 49%. So those are the two pieces of good news in the report. But I'm sorry to say, Guy, the good news ends there. Sandy, a bit of a mixed bag because post-secondary graduation rates show small increases over five years, but the enrollment is declining. So you have gains here and some declines there. Yeah, Jamie, you're you're exactly right. So there is a there's only 39 percent of uh, of uh, people uh, matriculating from high school into something else. Uh, are that that are that are not uh, enrolling, and so that is just it, that continues that continues to drop. So we're seeing fewer and fewer people choosing uh, post high school to enroll in either a skilled trades program, a two year collegiate uh, a community college experience, or a four year degree. The good news that Guy just mentioned is that once those who do decide to go are graduating at at a higher rate. The sad part is, though, is that it appears, based on that, Sandy, that fewer and fewer families see the value in a post-secondary education, in in higher learning, that they don't see the return on that investment, which is, as we all know, for so many families, a cripplingly high investment. And that's what we talked to university presidents during the college tour about. How do you prove that kids should come here? Yeah. So, you know, and we have other statewide polling that we do with the Glenn Garrett group that also shows that that Michiganders um, are kind of sour on the four year college experience because it is expensive. You know, what we would say to that is that there is a mountain of data that shows that, you know, if you have especially a bachelor's degree, your chances of being unemployed uh, throughout your career. Uh, is four times less than it than someone who doesn't have a bachelor's degree, no matter what the economic conditions are. If the economic conditions are lush or if they're poor, you just have a much, much better shot of not being unemployed. Secondly, your lifetime earnings are significantly higher. But most importantly, you know, the economy is changing so quickly that uh, experts say by the year 2027, which was like the day after tomorrow, 70% of all jobs are going to need a post-secondary credential, right. including a bachelor's degree. Which is, that's, this is this is the alarming part. A- another data point here, nearly half of the enrolled students, and again, that's a shrinking pie, but nearly half of the enrolled students have not earned a credential after six years. So even when they enroll, you've only got a 50-50 shot of them completing. Is that because they were poorly prepared by our K-12 through system or that they don't get the support once they do get into the system? It is a whole bunch of reasons. I mean, you you just mentioned a couple of them, Guy, uh, but also, you know, you know, financial stressors, as, as, right. as Jamie just mentioned, you know, it, people have to drop out for, for certain reasons. Uh, now, I will say this. It, it historically, every time the job market gets really lush, uh, enrollment in post-secondary declines because people say, well, gee, the job market is really lush. The unemployment rate's really low. It's easy for me to get a good job. I'm going to forego any kind of college, and I'm going to uh, go work. And that's certainly been happening over the last three years. 
right? The, you know, the unemployment rate's been low. There's been plenty of great jobs available. You know, wages are, 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 are rising. So some of this is a little bit predictable based on uh, the economy. Sandy, what about achieving 60% by 2030 and the return on investment there? It, it mentions $42 billion. Seems like a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a tremendous amount of money. So if you want to know what a region or a state per capita income is going to be, all you need to know is what their educational attainment is. It is a exactly linear bar starting from the lower left going straight up to the upper right that as you increase a region's uh, educational attainment, your per capita income rises right along right along with it. And if we were, you know, at like a competitive level with some of our national peers, you know, this regional economy would be $42 billion richer than it is today. Well, one of the things that uh, that stands out here, and you talked about financial stressors, and indeed we, we know that students get into the system, maybe get two years under their belt and then have to quit because they run out of money. Uh, but how many students don't complete the FAFSA document, which can lead to financial support for them. In fact, they're leaving millions of dollars on the table. Yeah, and, you know, the the whole thought that is out there, and it's not just Michigan, it's across the country, where people are getting sour on the four-year collegiate experience is this cost issue. But for so many people, the cost is not nearly what they think it is. Yes, these, you know, uh, you know, prestigious universities, you know, the Ivy League and stuff like that, they cost, uh, you know, inordinate amounts of money uh, to, to go to. But even there, so many of their students are on very generous scholarships. When you look at here regionally, again, if you're, you know, I want to just stress this. If you live in the city of Detroit and if you go to school in the city of Detroit, you have a two-year or four-year collegiate experience paid for you, um, you know, through the Detroit Promise Program. Uh, and, you know, so for if you live in Detroit, it's free. But even if you don't live in Detroit, if you fill out the FAFSA, which is the federal financial aid form that you're referring to, uh, people are generally very surprised at how much federal money there is mm -hmm. to support someone's collegiate experience. And we do know that there is a piece of legislation right. right now in Lansing that would mandate that you every student file a FAFSA or fill one out. It seems a little, uh, I guess, maybe overreaching to some, but there would if you get them to do it, they understand what the opportunities are. Right, what's out there. Yeah, and uh, actually we're, we're very supportive of that, and it's really not a mandate. Uh, I mean, one that's just that would be a little too big brotherish, right? An encouragement. Uh, it, yeah, it, it it really is kind of a, a an opt in that it's going to be uh, the way we envision it. It would be offered and encouraged for every student, regardless if you're in an affluent district or not an affluent district, that you would uh, have that opportunity to fill out the FAFSA and you'd have support to do that. But if you didn't do it. It, it, you know, you, you, you're you're not going to get put in FAFSA jail, right? I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're, we 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 wouldn't be uh, if you filled out the FAFSA. It's a form of jail. I mean, it is it yeah. is not oh, it is not they, an they easy. They made it easier though. I guess, since yeah. I I did it. <laughs>
Yeah. Yes, I think it's only like 45 pages as opposed to 445 <laughs> pages. So. Thank goodness, and most of it's online now. Uh, Sandy, yeah, a really interesting report. We will um, we'll seize upon the progress that's made and also make a vow with these takeaways to do better in the years to come. Well, great to talk to you both, uh, Jamie and uh, gosh, I just saw you the other night. Hey, it's thought. early. We got it. it. It it is it is early, and I appreciate that, Jamie. Well, anyway, great to be with you both. Take All care. right, take care, Sandy. Uh, time for IN Engineering, brought to you by Tajan Automotive Technologies, the formula for better mobility. We hear a lot about fuel cells that power vehicles by using hydrogen in a chemical process to produce electricity. But internal combustion engines fueled by direct injected hydrogen are showing promise for heavy duty applications. Direct injected hydrogen engines can retain the power density of diesel engines, which fuel cells and battery electric vehicles cannot. Cummins, for example, is partnering with Terex Advanced Mixer, Edge Materials, and PCC Hydrogen to test the diesel giant's X15H engine. While most hydrogen efforts are based on converted internal combustion engines, there is other new work going on. JCB, for instance, has a brand new design that it has been testing on heavy equipment and even a Mercedes Sprinter van. The SAE Media Group will be holding a webinar on hydrogen and heavy-duty vehicles in early 2023. For details, go to sae.org webcasts. For SAE International, I'm Chris Klontz, and that's an eye on engineering. I don't think that in my 40 years of, of covering the courts that I've ever seen a, the spectrum of raw human emotion that I saw on Friday in the victim's impact statements at the... 29 different people. Sentencing, yes, at the sentencing uh, for the Oxford High School shooter. And um, and then the the, the shocking uh, declaration by the the shooter himself, saying, "I want these." It, it, I'm paraphrasing. I want these people to be whole. I want them to get what they want and what they need to be able to move on. And so uh, said, "I I promise that I will be a better person in the future. But give me whatever sentence you feel appropriate." Basically saying, if they want life without parole, I'm ready to accept that. Right. It was a shocking turn. I, I don't know if it was genuine. I don't know if his remorse is genuine. Right, who knows? When you read his journals, he is such a damaged sociopathic... It, you just don't know. Um, and his, his attorneys and uh, the, one of the social workers involved said this is not the broken kid that they met two years ago, that he is already on the road to improving himself. Well, okay. Does that mean that he shouldn't serve the full measure of punishment? Because, you know what, that opportunity for self-improvement is not something he gave to his four victims. Exactly. I, I, Every one of those 29 people said he deserves life without parole, and the judge agreed. Yeah, it was interesting. He really... And, and he said, look, I, you know, I've, I've, I've read this incredibly detailed manifesto. I've watched this young man plan and execute with incredible precision and, and mental clarity. Uh, I, you know, I, it, it was as if he said, look, I've looked for a way that I could show some grace here, and I just don't see that path. There's also the discussion about the miner's mind not being fully formed whenever they conduct these horrible acts. 
2012, the U.S. Supreme Court deemed it unconstitutional to sentence minors to mandatory life without the possibility of parole because of that very reason and not giving up on child offenders, which is why there's a hearing now. It can't be mandatory life without parole. You have to go through this process. The whole thing about not your brain not being fully formed goes to impulse control, right? You're right. in a moment, you strike out, it's a hot blood crime, you've angered me in a in a gang situation, so I'm going to kill you. Right. That's that's not what we saw here. This wasn't an impulse control situation. And what struck me, Jamie, as I watched statement after statement and also listened to the judge is the number of opportunities that he had to um to cut off his plan when they found the first when they found him shopping for ammo and drawings and he, in the drawings and yeah. he thought oh i'm i'm done now they've they've discovered this and he himself struggled and said I, I i found myself wanting to tell them what i was planning and what i was going to do but then he kept stopping short how many opportunities he had to to come back to a more sensible place and to short circuit his own plan well, he's only he 15 years old, and it's like, did he have the capacity to, I don't know, I'm just devil's advocate. I think this was the right thing that happened. I'm just saying, you know, at, at this 15-year-old is still, in my mind, a child. So did he have the capacity? And, and the case against the parents is they weren't helping at all. No question. Well, they bought him a gun, they took him to the range, and then whatever measures they took to secure that weapon were not effective. So, uh, you know, and that's going to be uh, the next phase of this thing. In the meantime, um, just uh, the the level of hurt. You remember in, there's that song in Le Miserable, empty chairs and empty tables. Um, we heard the raw emotion from these parents that are having to look at those empty chairs every day. Yeah. And Buck Muir, who's been a, an advocate and, and speaking a lot, he said... Quote, our family has been navigating our way through complete hell. We wear the pain like a heavy coat. Constant reminders every day, every hour is the darkest time of the day. Yeah. And uh, Hannah St. Juliana's sister saying, you know, I had always looked forward to weaving her hair before her wedding. And instead I was was helping to um, set her hair uh, before her funeral. Uh, Those those just little slices of their lives, those right. incredibly personal, horrible things that I'm, I know they don't want to share. Who would? And yet nobody they f- wanted to be in that room. No. And no. yet they felt compelled to share this and the, uh, the amount of emotional courage uh, that that took because there were also you know, very, very young people there as well. And well, the one thing that's there's kind of a burning question in all of this and uh, just, we, we uh, had expected to talk to Prosecutor Karen McDonald in this segment, and we're having trouble connecting with her. But um, when you hear Ethan Crumbly say in regards to his parents, I bear sole responsibility for what happened. No one else bears responsibility. What does that mean? Right. With, Is with he the trial, to help the, the trial and Yeah, and involuntary manslaughter charges that are coming forward. What does that mean? And um, whether that's setting up perhaps that he will testify on, on behalf of his parents. And, and that's fine. 
as a now 17-year-old kid, you can say that in the moment and try to tell the court that you assume sole responsibility. Maybe that's comforting to the to the folks there that were impacted by all of this uh, it, from a legal matter. Hell no. Right. The parents obviously appealed their charges, but that was denied, and they faced trial January 23rd. So do these people have to relive it all over again and go back to their trial? And, and do victim impact statements right. then. Probably. And, and speak parent to parent. Um, you know, I do everything I can to safeguard my child's mental health and well-being. When this child was crying out for help and he was telling you that he was hearing voices, why wasn't he in counseling? And on that day, when you said you had to go back to work, why on earth wouldn't you take him home, wrap your arms around him and say, you you said in this thing that you you don't think your life has value. You do have value, and we love you, right. and we're going to get you the help you need. Was it, why wasn't that something that was like, I need to take my kid and talk to him? You know? Yeah, it didn't happen, and that's why they're on charges. Over the weekend, the Biden administration approved an emergency sale to Israel of nearly 14,000 rounds of uh, tank ammunition. It's a $106 million defense deal. Um, as we still await congressional action on a, a, a plan to help Ukraine, to help Israel, to move this forward, the Biden administration kind of doing an end around, a temporary solution to make sure that they don't run out of ammo. Yeah, I mean... Some people believe this is a security issue for the world, for America, just as the southern border is. Exactly. And, and, and listen, and this, it's an equation that should be addressed that way. They should be tied together. But let's find a solution. Uh, let's not set expectations so unreasonably high. But there needs to be, I, you know, just go go back to the, the stay in Mexico policy. If the Biden administration did that. Let's do that. Remain in Mexico. Right. And, uh, and, and see where that takes us. Everyone knows it's a mess. Why can't they come together and just talk about some solutions? Changing well, asylum. Well, part of it also Mexico, becomes anything. If you solve it, then you lose what is a potent political uh, cudgel on both sides. You know, they they both don't want to lay down their arms and come to a solution because they see political hay in, in keeping the, the, that fight alive. Uh, meantime, it's going to be a consequential day for the president of Harvard University. Um, she's going to be back on the hot seat uh, with the overseers of that institution as uh, calls for her resignation continue to grow. In the wake of her absolutely tone-deaf testimony before a House committee where she parsed the policy, answered like a lawyer instead of like a human being. Right. It, all, it took down Liz McGill at UPenn, and some are saying that it could also happen to Claudine Gay, but 500 members of the faculty signed a petition urging in the strongest possible terms to resist political pressures uh, that are at odds with Harvard's commitment to academic freedom. Yeah, and, and that's it's hard to, to, to interpret that, whether these are people that support uh, Palis, this Palestinian political effort or the Hamas political effort, if these are radicals, or if this is about... We don't want political outsiders to determine what happens with our academic freedoms at this university and that, that it's about resisting the precedent-setting nature of it. Well, some um, people who signed the petition were critical of her and her responses to Congress. 
So yeah. there are at least some of those people. Now, Harvard has 2,300 faculty. This is 500 who signed the petition. Right. I, um, it will be uh, interesting if, if this, how transparent this process is. Uh, whether we and she has apologized, she apologized yet again in a in an interview that was published in the Harvard Chris, uh, Harvard Crimson, and uh, and and listen in terms of determining what happens uh, free speech on college campuses. If they had been just as hard on, uh, or 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 just as tolerant of conservative speech on their campuses as they are of this kind of speech. Saying, well, it, it depends on the context. Well, it hasn't. <laughs> the cancel culture on your on your campus hasn't been about context in other forms of expression, and that and I think that's what really sticks in the craw of a lot of the observers of that. Yeah, and they kept saying on Capitol Hill, like it depends on the context. Well, and a lot of times these students are afraid and they feel they are being berated and and they're scared for their safety. I I would assume that context goes against the code of contact. Uh, I will tell you that uh, these college presidents should see what I saw last night. Let's talk about this guy, because you saw the video that Hamas had on their body cams. How are you doing after seeing it, it, first of all? I'm depressed today. I mean, I'm a little little raw. Um, It was an endless stream of... And I don't want to get to, uh, because everybody's waking up. I'm not going to get too graphic, so don't don't, don't worry about that. Um, but we, you saw the horrors, you saw the murders, uh, you saw those that were left behind. What you, but what was shocking was the joy, the exuberance of these fighters. These weren't these weren't soldiers, professional soldiers going about the grim business of war or liberating. Or you, and you didn't hear them say, you know, death to the oppressors. It was death to Jews, death to the dogs. There was an inhumanity of it that just left your, your it's, it hurt your soul. I would assume, and you know me, uh, did you see children? Any, that would be So we were told that they actually um, didn't show us the worst video. It was horrible. But they, they showed some some mercy. It was implied in various ways that I'm not going to. So <laughs> it was clear. Um, we did see, and and Nolan Finley talks about this in a column in the Detroit News today. We saw a a, a situation from a security cam in a house. It was a variety of video sources here. It was security cams. It was the Hamas body cams. It was also uh, the Hamas fighters used their own mobile phones to record this because, you know, you got to put it on social media because oh. they were so proud. Right. And uh, and so um, we, as, as, as we were watching, we did see this security footage from inside a home where a, a father and his two boys are running scared as they hear the shooting outside and they're looking to, to hide. And then we see the father killed. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And, and you saw what happened. And, and this was the kind of, of thing. Uh, and again, it was the it was what but what just was one of the things that they had a, lo- a number of communications intercepts. And we heard a young Hamas fighter call his family. Mom, dad, I killed 10 Jews with my bare hands. I'm your son's a hero. And you hear the mother weeping in the background uh, for joy. I, I don't know. 
whether it's the, the realization that she has raised a, an inhumane monster. I mean, the, the title human being just cannot be applied to these people. And whether or not uh, she realizes that and she is horrified or if they were tears of joy, you just don't know. Uh, I heard that if that was the phone call or not, that the soldier who called his parents in one of these intercepts was a father himself and killed parents and children and yes. elderly and what have you. Yeah. I'm very proud of it. And here's the other part that's just an inconvenient fact for those that want to call everybody that we see uh, room, uh, you know, hurt in, in uh, Israeli attacks to call them innocent Gaza civilians. Well, one, what is clear is as the, the bodies of soldiers and others were brought into Gaza, as hostages were brought into Gaza, they were met with celebrations. People were holding up their cell phones and, and broadcasting it, you know, live streaming it because it was just such a, I mean, when you look at this, this is a mass of people that were overjoyed at the human suffering and the debauchery and the depravity that was at work that day. And so there, you look at it and go, well, well, where are these innocent civilians that don't support Hamas that you keep telling us about? Certainly didn't see them on those videos. Not on that video. I do think there's some innocent people who are suffering in Gaza, but not the people that were celebrating no, for sure. No question. The children that are caught up in these rocket attacks and, and, and others... But when you look at public opinion polls, that 59% of, of those surveyed in Gaza and the West Bank, 59% strongly support what happened October 7th. They added another 16% that say they support it to some extent. That's 75% support. Where's the innocence in that? It's time for WGR's Business Beat. Let's bring in Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation, to spotlight the entrepreneurial tech and startup community on WJR. Good morning, Guy. Tis the season, of course, and a big part of getting in the holiday spirit is getting that Christmas tree purchased and all set up in our homes. And now new research from the Real Christmas Tree Board provides insights into American consumer Christmas tree buying patterns. Here are some of the highlights. First, just like everything else in life these days, we're going to be paying more for our trees this year versus last year, regardless of whether or not it's real or fake. Newsweek reports that the average price of a Christmas tree this year is up about 10%, with most people spending between $80 and $100 to make that purchase. And the National Retail Federation reports that Americans will spend roughly $225 this year on seasonal decor, including our trees, lights and candles, and related decorations. When it comes to buying real or fake, the Real Christmas Tree Board research also shows that more people will buy a real tree for the first time this year, thanks to a growing number of Gen Z and millennial shoppers settling in to new holiday traditions of their own. Of Gen Z buyers, 26% are real tree newbies, compared to 25% of millennials and 13% of Gen Xers. Interestingly, 85% of those who bought a real tree last year will buy a real tree this year as well. And when we do buy our trees, 14% of us buy them pre-Thanksgiving, the overachievers there. 33% buy during the Thanksgiving weekend, and another 33% of us buy during the week following Thanksgiving. About 1% of us, interestingly, wait until the last minute very intentionally because they make buying a Christmas tree on Christmas Eve part of their Christmas Eve festivities. So many of us enjoy having a tree, of course, during the holidays. And just remember, 
It's a win-win in that so many tree-growing entrepreneurs, distributors, and those doing the selling depend on this important consumer spend during this time of year. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, and that's today's business beat and the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. There have been several high-profile child abuse cases where, upon investigation, they found that one of the reasons the abuse went undetected was because the abusers homeschooled their children. So there was no uh, contact with the outside world that would have allowed the mandatory reporters like teachers, nurses, doctors, to identify these children as being abused. There are some Democrats up in Lansing who say that the remedy for that is to make sure that there's greater oversight over homeschool families. And there are folks on the other side of the aisle saying that is a recipe for overreach and intrusion. And is the very reason why many of these families choose to homeschool their children in the first place. We heard uh, from Representative Matt Colazar, who has his plan for greater oversight. We bring in Jamie Green. Uh, Republican from Richmond, state representative in the 102nd District and vice chair of the House Education Committee, who shares a, a role on that committee with Matt Colazar, who has a very different viewpoint. Jamie Green, good morning. Good morning. Are you a homeschool parent? I am a homeschool parent. I have been for the last 14 years. Uh, good on you, because that is a that is yeah. a God that, bless you. Yeah, that is a huge commitment that I think a lot of us look at and go, we don't know whether we could. Uh, first of all, be confident enough to do it. And secondly, just the level of commitment to juggle all of those roles, mom, teacher, and parent. Um, obviously, you are, as I, I know you and Matt Colazar are, think and are like-minded and that you're appalled at these cases of abuse. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there is absolutely zero, acute, zero excuse for child abuse. And, and any child abuse... Um, that is no, noticed needs to be investigated and of course prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But however, the Democrats are for, falsely implying that homeschool provides a loophole in which child abuse goes undetected. But you know, the research and the facts do not support this claim. And this push for counting or registering homeschool children will have a horrible impact on homeschooling, and it will not protect abused children in the state of Michigan. And also, Guy, I'm going to challenge you on that. They have no contact with the outside world. The case that brought this attention, those kids were in the foster care system. Those kids were in the CPS system. They were already on two lists. Putting them on one more list is not going to uh, save these kids from child okay. abuse. There are kids. Just understanding, I was paraphrasing yep. the facts as they <laughs> yep. presented them. Yep. So yep. I appreciate that. Uh, Representative, how would registering be a deterrent, be a detriment to kids if you're just putting them on a list so the state can keep track of them? Michigan, only one of 11 states that doesn't count or register homeschool children. Well, well, why should we register homeschool children? Why should we give the government one more way of tracking our children, one more way of like gathering data and aggregating data from our children? And like I said, is putting them on one more list really going to save them? And I guess I just ask why. Why does the government think it's their responsibility to take care of our children? To me, this is just another attempt to marginalize the idea that parents and not the state 
are the ones who raise the children, are the ones who have the final say. And actually, that's in our state constitution about the education of our children, that it's parents who are supposed to then, the public schools are supposed to partner with the parents if they choose to, to get, educate their children. But that is, we as parents need to be responsible and educate our children. And that could be going to private school, public school, or even homeschooling them. And I, I guess it's, why would we do that since Put it like I'm just going to say that over and over again. Putting them on yeah. one more list is not going to save the children. It's just going to aggregate data to collect them. Because what if I don't comply? Right. I mean, they put me on a list. Now I am I am a targeted parent because I homeschool. Well, I did ask uh, Representative Colazar. I'm like, how would the kids being on a list have helped in that situation that we're talking about when there was abuse? Because th- no one's going to s- come in and check, right? That's a great question. How are they going to enforce it? Our, uh, Senator Chang actually wants the police to come and check on my kids twice a year. And I live in a neighborhood. My kids are very um, exposed to the real world. Uh, all, I, actually, all homeschool students that I know are playing outside. And you're right. People do ask especially when I first started homeschooling, why aren't your kids in school? And I'm like, we're homeschooling and, and they're playing. And this is how catching ball helped my son read. So that's what we spent time doing was customizing his education. And Matt Colazar said that these parents, these abusers, really to call them parents is almost a mischaracterization, but these abusers mm-hmm. who were homeschooling their children are are in no way representative of homeschool parents. Parents homeschool because they're acting in the best interest and they they have a, a an undying commitment to their child's education, and that's a good thing. But I guess my question to you is, at the outset, you said the data does not show that people do this to hide their children. How do we know that? Because there is actually they, a study. It, it, I mean, it, well, but I'm 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 saying we know that the majority of of homeschool kids, that isn't the reason they're homeschooled, but couldn't it be used by people in that manner? Well, I mean, I mean, people of ill intent. Absolutely. And there are people of ill intent and there are kids that are sitting in public schools this very moment who are being abused by their children, by their parents. These children are being abused by their parents Mm -hmm. and they go unnoticed. There are what in Detroit, we have a 79% truancy rate and that's, what, 38,000 chronically absent students, are they being investigated for truancy? Why are they not showing up to kit, to school? Why are they not showing up on time? Are, is that followed up necessarily? I guess we, we do have a systemic issue in our CPS and our foster care system. And I see this just as turning towards something else to not address the issues that we actually have, and we need to address that, and we but need if, to have a bar- bipartisan effort to address that. If they have yeah. no mandatory reporters in their lives, though, doesn't that allow abuse to go unchecked? Uh, but they have, I guess. Then the thing is, is they have mandatory uh, uh, reporters in their lives, and still abuse goes unchecked. Right, but that so, doesn't mean that it can't be used as a loophole. I, I understand what you're but, saying that in these individual cases you can say well they had cp you know cp contact and i understand that but absent that theoretically well, if they're biological kids yeah well if they're biological kids i, I mean and they're hiding them in the 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 woods i mean how, how often is that actually happening and do we wouldn't we see that as adults wouldn't would people be coming out 
coming forward if they were they were locked in closets as kids I guess I'm just I guess it's there you there's always going to be bad people in this world and those parents aren't homeschooling them they're they're abusing them and I guess that's the thing is they can still hide their kids away and they're how did they get found out then to begin with who was that who reported then right. that the kids are locked away in the woods I mean we also went through two years of of uh, COVID lockdowns where we weren't allowed to leave our houses and who checked the children then? Well, there still needs to be, as as you say, better enforcement uh, on the oversight side so that these things don't happen. And that's where we should come together. And I know you and Matt Colazar are going to try to do that because these abuse cases never should have happened. It's the remedy, finding the right remedy and the right tool that's so important. I think there are good people on both sides trying yeah. to figure this out. Jamie Green, we appreciate you giving us your side. <laughs> Thank you so much for having All me right. on. All right. Have a great day with your kids. Oh, we know Mondays are hard, and as you're using yourself out of bed, it always makes it a little bit easier if you're still savoring a Lions victory. I prefer victory Mondays. Yes, whatever this is, and and even even in defeat, if it was if it was a strong defeat, if it was you know one where there, I'm trying to salvage some bright spots from this, and it's it's not easy. It was that was no. an ugly ugly game, and uh, and who, Lomas's drop does not work because the Bears didn't really suck yesterday. They didn't. <laughs> they yeah, they didn't suck yesterday. Uh, Lomas Brown, our color analyst for the Detroit Lions, and also host of WJR Sports Wrap at six p.m. Monday through Friday, joining us live this morning. Hey, big man. Hey, J- hey, Jamie's right. I think I had the wrong team that sucked yesterday. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, man. It was. God, you picked the right word, man. U-G-L-Y. It was, man. It really was. And it was kind of unexpected, to be honest with you. Really didn't expect the team to play the way they played yesterday. Well, Lomas, the Lions' defense we have talked about, porous at times, and now they've lost for the second time in three weeks. But the offense is what was really U-G-L-Y. I mean, they only had 61 yards in the second half and no points. Oh, my goodness, Jamie, you hit it right on the head. And I know that was a point of emphasis that uh, Coach Dan Campbell made after the game because, again, these guys have to complement each other, meaning the offense, defense, and special teams. And you're right. We didn't hold up our end of the bargain, especially in the second half. I don't know what happened to us in the second half of that game, but we basically didn't show up or didn't come out the locker room, man, because, again, not going three and out, three and out, three and out, punt, turnovers. It was just it was bad in the second half for the team. Well, in the th- it was three and out with uh, an ineffective run game. But some of Jared's passes, it was like was, you looked and went, was that, was that tipped or did he just throw it there? And yeah, a lot God, of underthrown I mean, balls. Yeah. I know, I know one time, again, we just stared at each other up in the radio booth. Because we didn't understand, we didn't know whether it was miscommunication between Jared and the wide receivers on a couple of times. Uh, we didn't know what Jared was looking at a couple of times. We didn't know whether it might have been confusion from uh, the defense uh, that the Bears threw at us because a couple of times they looked like we're, they were in man defense and dropped back into zone. So we didn't know if that confused them. But it was just it was it, it was shocking that the way again that we weren't able to move the ball with any efficiency, especially in the second half. And as we know, 
we're going like going on and on in this season. The teams, especially the defenses that we're going to face, are going to be so much better. So we're going to definitely have to clear up, show up, whatever we're going to have to do, but we're going to have to get things corrected in a hurry. Well, there wasn't this alarmist attitude from Dan Campbell, that's for sure. Here's what he said post-game, Wilmoth. We've got a pretty resilient team here, and uh, we'll bounce back, man. It was a loss, and it stings. Nobody feels worse about it than than those guys do and, and the coaches. I mean, we all feel it. This is hard. It's a hard pill to swallow, but that only the guys we got, it only motivates you to want to move on and get a win. That's what it does. The sad thing is, Lomas, the, the, some of our brightest lights, guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, eight targets, only three catches. And, he and, only got me three points in fantasy, Lomas. <laughs> Jamie, I'm so sorry. I forgot <laughs> to have got you some fantasy points <laughs> yesterday. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, guys, you're right. It's it's kind of puzzling. Think about the Sam Laporta. He didn't have a big game yesterday either, man. I know we did a lot with Jameer Gibbs. He was kind of like our star of the game. But you're right. We we have so much expectation from guys like Amin Ra, uh, Laporta. You know, we, we rely on those guys. We rely on those front five offensive linemen to do what they have to do. And, again, like I say, what what's kind of mind-boggling uh, to me is that, you know, normally teams get better as the season goes along, and we kind of hit this spurt where we're not playing good right now, and we know this is the most one of the most important months of the season is December, right now where we are. So now the game against the Broncos is even more important. Primetime, Saturday night, and the Broncos have won six of seven. Jamie, they they got and they got a very good defense. They got a good defense. And, you know, they got a veteran quarterback and Russell Wilson that can do what? He can move around in the pocket a little bit. He may not be able to move like some of these younger quarterbacks that we face, but he can manipulate the pocket, and he would love for – Aaron Glenn to blitz us. That's what veteran quarterbacks want you to do. They want you to all-out blitz them because they have blitz beaters. They yeah. know the plays that will beat blitzes. So it's going to be a tough, tough challenge. Plus going up against uh, Sean Payton, too, a Super Bowl winner coach, it's going to be a tough talent, ta- uh, challenge on Saturday. Well, that's what's frustrating. If and when we get into the playoffs, if we face mobile quarterbacks, and that's a very high likelihood when you get to the postseason – we don't have the remedy for that, and and but here's the here's the here's the bright side. We play two of of the next four with the Minnesota Vikings, who against a really feeble Raiders team could only muster three points yesterday. But guy, I would have looked at it that way before yesterday. Now I'm thinking, guy, every team these last remaining games, every one of these teams are going to be a challenge, man. We're going to have to bring our A game to win these games. I'm telling you, can't sleep on Minnesota. They may not look good, but I'm telling you, when they play the Lions, I don't know why they get extra juice. That's I don't true. Know what goes on, but I'm telling you, these last uh, four or five games going to be the toughest games that we've had on the schedule to play. But the Lions are in the driver's seat. They still have a two-game Thank lead. You, they man. play the Vikings yes. twice. They haven't lost two games in a row all season. I, yes. This is not SOL to me. It's just they lost a game in the NFL where there's a ton of parity. I agree 110%, which you are absolutely right. The only thing, again, that we have to get corrected is some of these 
small things that are propping their head up against us, these penalties, uh, these mistakes. Just clean up those things, and there are things yes. that you could clean up on. That's the good thing about it. And hopefully get James Houston back, please. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and then I got to tell you, I mean, it, it's, it's as we were texting back and forth with friends and family, they're commiserating during the game yesterday. The one thing that kept coming up is Aiden Hutchinson is getting mugged on every play. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe that's just the new normal in the NFL, uh, but it, 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 I mean, it's, it is, it is truly a mugging. It is an arm around the neck type stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what we do, guy. As offensive linemen, we mug. <laughs> you do it on that purpose. What, that's in our job description: mug the defensive end, and that's what we do. <laughs> Well, Lomas, um, here's to hoping James Houston comes back and Aiden Hutchinson can get some help. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Bruce, what about Bruce Irvin? Let's, let's yeah, yeah. Let's uncork that young man. He got us a sack the last game. Um, let's see what else he can do. I know he's 36, 37, 38 round that age, but man, hey, let's see what what else do we have to lose? Big game on Saturday night. Yeah, we'll look forward to it, and uh, they got a little time to correct it. But it's gonna. It is a different Broncos team, I'll tell you. Lomas, thanks so much. You have a great morning, my friend. Hey, you all take care. Bye. 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 When we come back, the PGA Tour once again in disarray as John Rahm defects, and also talk of them de-energizing the golf ball, taking yards off the golf ball. If you're an average duffer, what does that mean for those of us that don't have super swing speeds? We'll find out next on JR Morning as uh, we join Bob Herrig, golf writer for Sports Illustrated at 749. We know going back mm, about 10 years now, Jack Nicholas and others have said, look, this juiced golf ball is is laying waste to some of our classic courses. The, def- the, the driving uh, capability of even the average golfer is leading to some of them to have to be redesigned. So the USGA is proposing... Hold on to your seats, you aging duffers. They're going to de-juice the golf ball. And by the way, I uh, I include myself in that <laughs> group. Uh, it's just one of the many breaking stories in the world of golf as uh, this this so-called merger between Liv and the PGA also seems to be breaking down. Bob Herrig is golf writer for Sports Illustrated and author of Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. Bob, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you guys? We're great. Uh, so... The, the, I, I wanted to run out and just start buying uh, golf balls by the case. <laughs> I wanted to start my own but those black won't market. Be legal guy in your tournaments. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, we're, there is going to be a period of grace. And in the meantime, maybe those old balls are going to have enhanced value. We'll see. But, Bob, tell me what they're talking about here and how much for the average golfer it will really affect their, uh, their, their length off the tee. Yeah, they're talking about uh, instituting a testing protocol um, that would see high high uh, swing speeds. Um, the, the the golf ball would would actually not not travel as far. Actually, this is probably not that big of a deal for us mortal golfers. Um, we don't swing fast enough to take advantage of the technology that pros do. What's amazing about the, the golf balls and the equipment that are out there, the, the, the best of the best have found a way to maximize that. While it helps us some, we don't typically hit it hard enough or swing fast enough or hit it 
on the face often enough to take advantage. And so um, while it's going to be an adjustment for elite players because they're going to they're gonna find that their best drives don't travel as far, I think for the rest of us we'll, we'll see minimal impact, um, maybe none at all. I mean, if you, if you buy refurbished golf balls or if you play a ball that you found in the woods or you, one that you plucked out of a lake, um, you're basically playing a ball that you have no idea, like it's, it's capabilities, how, you know, how, how good it is. So, you know, I think it's a little bit been overplayed for, for the vast majority of the, the golfing world, the recreational player. Um, and it, I mean, the, the numbers they've put out are, you know, maybe five yards. Yeah. And yet, you know, most of us, like when we talk about how far we hit it, we talk about how far we hit it when we hit it our best. Right. And yet right. we we don't really always hit it our best. I mean, most of the time, you know, it you might hit it your best, you know, a handful of times during a round, frankly. You're trying to manage your, your misses, really. So, But now at the elite level, you know, there's been some concern. I mean, to have to make a change, these guys work really hard. Mm-hmm. Women, too. Women, you know, this will affect, you know, very, very elite uh, uh, pro women players as well, you know, they work very, very hard to dial in their yardages, their, their swing speeds, the optimization, where, how, how far the ball travels, you know, how, what equipment is best suited. And so at some point they're going to have to go through a transition and I'm not sure you accomplish this in a day, a week or a month, you know, it might, it might take them a couple of months to figure it out. But yet, while while they're doing that, they're playing with the ball that's, that's legal now. You know, right. so, again, now this isn't supposed to go into effect until 2028 for pros, until 2030 for the rest of us. There is a long time to adapt. And, and look, there probably will become a, a bootleg market for the old stuff. But yet, you know, <laughs> like if you and I go out and buy those Pro V1s now and they, we put them in our garage for four or five years, there's questions as to how good those golf balls will be then. You know, they lose right. some of their oh, luster. They don't age well. Around. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, and Rory, Rory McIlroy tweeted out, he doesn't believe the average golfer giving up 5 to 10 yards off the tee is going to have a material effect on score, handicap, or enjoyment. So that's where he's at. I want to talk about a different rivalry between Liv and the PGA and John Rahm taking a huge payday when he said he would never go to Liv. He thought it was a joke. And Tony Finau now possibly being another big name going. I thought they were merging. Yeah, well, they, the, frankly, the, the word merger was misused, I think, early on. They had an agreement to have an agreement. And the, they've spent basically the last six months trying to come together on what that agreement would, would be. Uh, and it would be more of an alliance. It would, it would, it would bring peace back to the game. There, there would be some way. Uh, for live players to play PGA Tour events and vice versa. And that's probably what they're having to work out. But while that's going on, you know, live has made the decision, you know, we're, we're forging ahead. It's business as usual for them. They're going to play a 14 event 2024 schedule that will be separate from the PGA Tour. And if this thing doesn't get resolved, it'll go into 2025. And what you just saw there with John Rahm, 
And what you also, you know, mentioned, you know, the possibility of Tony Finau, they're apparently talking to others. Hey, that's, that's the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, you know, the, the lives backers. <laughs> um, that is, that is their sort of, uh, you know, negotiating ploy, I think. Yeah. It's, it's giving them leverage. It, it really makes it imperative for the PGA Tour now to come to the table and, and try to get something done because you want to risk keeping to lose some of your best players. Um, I mean, what if, what if they were to make a number offer to Victor Hovland, who just won the FedEx Cup? Uh, what if they went after Wyndham Clark, who won the U.S. Open? And all of a sudden, you've got this really divided game. Right. So it's going to be interesting here. I mean, they, they set a December 31st deadline to reach an agreement. Um, I'd be surprised if that is met. I wouldn't be surprised if they said, we're going to continue talks, or maybe we're going to, we're going to agree to this amount, but we've got to work out the details in the first six months of uh, 2024. Right. But, but I do think for the betterment of the game, they need to come, come to some, you know, some, some agreement, some sort of uh, truce, or it's going to get ugly. No question about it. And this, uh, this gentleman's agreement not to poach uh, it apparently is Off no longer an agreement. Bob Herrick, right. thanks for your time this morning. We appreciate your insights. We'll read about it in SI. Well, good morning once again. Uh, Lloyd has the day off, so Jamie and I are just uh, sitting in holding things down. He'll be back tomorrow. Um, some breaking news, and it's a story that uh, Lloyd has been covering uh, heavily for us, and that is the murder of Samantha Wall, the horrible uh, stabbing death over near Lafayette Towers. And she, uh, we now have someone in custody for that murder, and it it appears to be someone that was unknown to her. This is not an acquaintance murder. This makes it scarier. It does for residents of the city. And, and we should point out this is against the backdrop of a decline in homicides, 50 fewer homicides this year than last. But the notion and the feeling of safety is that it, it, everybody's uh, concern is that the random act, right? And that's right. what appears. Right. Uh, Not now. a hate crime, they say, still. Exactly. And um, but uh, such a prominent member of our community, it, it's such a brutal attack. And uh, we're, we don't know the nature, how he came to be there. Um, we do know that it is a male, and it's not the same person that was brought in as a person of interest uh, shortly after her murder. That person was acquainted with her, apparently gave a problematic answer to some questions that police asked, and so he came under scrutiny. That's now been cleared, so somebody entirely different now in custody, and we expect to learn more and perhaps have a news conference from Chief White later on today um to some degree uh, certainly for the community good news that the person behind this is in custody if that is indeed the right. case uh, but then the unsettling thought that this was a random correct crime. exactly and and we hope that her family gets some closure with this if this is the correct person but it, it's still scary and all of her friends i mean she was so you know from Alyssa slotkin on down and within the jewish community she's just so highly beloved and yeah. and respected and we'll we, we hope to learn more on that today but that's the the bit of breaking news a uh, bit of good news going to try to balance things out the perfecting church right there at woodward and seven mile that has been just this half-started mega church that has been sitting there 
in a state of decay now for nearly 10 years. It appears that by 2025, it will be occupied and complete and that Reverend Winans is moving forward. Excellent news. Yeah. You know that exact spot yeah, by the I, golf club. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, on, the, on the east side of the of the street there. And, and, you know, I think every time you go by it, you just kind of scratch your head going, what happened? Right. There? It's a massive undertaking. And uh, it just had like, um, you know, signage. The city filed lawsuit against them, uh, and the, uh, the the church responded and said, we will restart this, and so they have. Also, a Wall Street Journal poll released this morning shows in a head-to-head race that Nikki Haley would beat President Biden by a whopping 17 points, much larger than the, the small margin of victory when former President Trump and Biden are matched up head-to-head in the same poll. That's huge and well beyond the margin of error there. Yes. And, you know, begging the question from so many that are sitting on the sidelines going, why are we stuck with these two candidates that the parties are offering us? It certainly lends credence to their argument that everyone would be better off with different people. Yeah, the the chatter is just getting more and more from different people asking for change. They don't want these two candidates. No. Uh, We will see what could be a very important meeting of by the people that oversee Harvard University today. Yeah, you know, we know what happened on Capitol Hill with the university presidents and um, Liz McGill from UPenn. She was uh, she resigned from her position, and now there's growing um, pressure on Claudine Gay at Harvard to step down. Now, the people that run the university uh, will meet later on today. It was not their intent for this to be their meeting, but this is what it is now because of all the pressure. Um, Gay has apologized for her comments and how um, sort of unemotional they were. 500 of the professors there have signed a petition saying do not remove her. There are 2,300 total professors, so it's certainly not the majority. But a lot of people are saying, don't do it. Don't kowtow to pressures like this. And it's really more about maintaining academic freedom. I don't think it's a declaration of support for... uh, Right, because some of them who have been negative and and criticizing her on Capitol Hill have signed the petition. Exactly. Um, We have all struggled with this. I know Nick has. Um, When you have an aging dog, you love them to death. And you watch them decline. Yes. And you wish there was something you could do for them for their quality of life. Not, not to mention extending this relationship as long as possible because they're members of the family. Well, now um, the 25 million large breed dogs in the U.S. may have a measure of hope. The FDA is considering approving an anti-aging or age-slowing drug for dogs that are 40 pounds or more. Too mm-hmm. late for me and you, Nick, but uh, for a lot of dog owners, I mean, uh, it's, I, I wish this had been within our um, our purview because they do. When you start to see them suffer as an owner, you're saying, I know what I have to do once the suffering gets to be too great. Right. But, man, I don't want to make that call. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I mean, it, it was a tough, tough thing to go through, but... Yeah, people totally understand that. And I grew up with Dobermans in our house. So we have had these big dogs and they're part of the family and they're this big presence in your house. So I totally get that. It's called LOI 001. And uh, according to the FDA, there is a reasonable expectation of effectiveness uh, that uh, 
that they are looking at a five-year approval. Uh, they say, look, the average dog's lifespan is about 10 to 13 years. Larger breeds age faster, uh, have an even shorter life expectancy, and they believe that this could extend not just the life but the quality of life by slowing the, the, the aging. Um, my only question Great. is, boy, can you... Can you bring it in human yeah, form? Can you take it? Uh, well, <laughs> if it'll work for a forty-pound dog, how about a hundred ninety-eight-pound male human? <laughs> uh, um, yes, I hope that that certainly helps because there are so many dog lovers out there. I get it. Oh yeah. And meantime, some some more troubling news for the University of Michigan sports program this morning. Well, we're talking about Juwan Howard. If you were on social media yesterday, there was a lot of speculation of what happened. Brendan Quinn of the Athletic tweeted out. Regarding the various reports of Jawan Howard's status, according to a university official with direct knowledge of the matter, Howard's status as Michigan head men's basketball coach is unchanged. He does confirm a confrontation between Howard and longtime UM strength and conditioning coach John Sanderson in a team practice late last week. They are exploring that. There is a university review process for that. Sanderson did not travel to Iowa with the team for Michigan's game yesterday. Um, according to a university source, Sanderson currently remains part of the program. It's worth noting that Howard remains under a zero-tolerance policy instituted by UM after he struck a Wisconsin assistant coach in February of 2022. Brendan goes on to say he expects Howard and Ward Manuel to meet this week and disciplinary measures could occur. So Troubling. You know, and we have so much love or Juwan. I don't know what's going on in his life that has brought him to this point. I didn't see this in him in in the NBA. Uh, did, did did you? There were not these kinds of reports then. Uh, no, but there's been these reports as the head coach of Michigan, and he just returned at the end of November um, in the assistant role because you know he had his health issues. So he he just returned. Um, last year, uh, last week, I should say, marked the anniversary of the repeal of prohibition allowing Americans to go back and, uh, you know, and, enjoy an adult beverage every now and then. The World Health Organization celebrated Prohibition by releasing, 90 years after the 21st Amendment, a new plan that they're undertaking to try to tax alcohol so heavily that it would raise the price of a, a cocktail by 50%. <laughs> That the nanny state wants to avoid the consequences of alcohol abuse and use, which we are all abundantly aware of. Uh, but uh, it, you talk about something that would sober you up. The fact that they want to increase taxes to 50 percent. I uh, mean, drinks are already like 20 bucks a drink. Since the pandemic, have you seen what's happened to the price of liquor? It's it's crazy. Uh, our friends at Reason Magazine brought this up and said this is, once again, an example of the, the nanny state running amok. And it was probably predictable based on what they did with cigarettes, you know, that you would tax it out of existence. So, uh, But just one little thing to consider as the, the, the WHO, uh, which is such a maligned institution now after COVID, uh, now insinuating themselves in our lives in new and different ways. When we come back, um, it was a horrible night, quite frankly. Uh, a handful of us got together and watched the IDF video of uh, the attacks of October 7th, uh, presented because there are so many deniers, 
sad that that even has to happen. Uh, one of those that watched it and the man that invited me, joining us next, Nolan Finley, with some uh, sharp words on what he and I witnessed last night. We'll be discussing that with Nolan and uh, what else is on his mind as we return at 819 on JR Morning. It is 44 minutes of horror and depravity. A video that's strung together by the Israeli Defense Forces uh, taken from Hamas cell phones, um, Hamas body cams, social media posts by Hamas of the systematic murder of 1,200 Israelis. And, uh, but they don't call them Israelis in this video. They call them dogs or Jews or other pejoratives. Um, but it laid bare the lie that these are somehow people fighting back against their oppressors. It was a, it was a terrorist act, pure and simple. And among those that watched this video uh, last night uh, was Nolan Finley, editorial page editor for the Detroit News, who writes about it uh, starkly and candidly this morning. Nolan, good morning. Good morning, Guy. I hope you slept better than I did last night. I, I, I didn't, and I'm still on edge this morning. Quite frankly, I uh, I got to tell you, I mean, I was prepared for the the human toll and the suffering that we were going to see. I wasn't prepared to see a bunch of thugs act like revelers at a rave, which is what these Hamas fighters behaved like their joy, their exuberance, their bloodlust. Yeah, that's what struck me even more than the brutality was the joy they took in the work, the pride in what they were doing. We heard a recording of one young man calling his parents and saying, I just killed 10 Jews with my bare hands. Your son is a hero. Kill, kill, kill. I mean, it was like he was calling to say, I just scored the winning basket in my basketball game or the winning goal in my soccer game. Yeah. Uh, they were so happy with what they were doing. I mean, this was the most godless thing I've ever seen. And all the while they're screaming praise to, to Allah. And, you know, I just got to believe that as Israel has moved through Gaza, uh, eliminating these, these, the people who, who did this, that they're just uh, busting the gates of hell wide open. Um, Nolan, it's sad that this video has to be shown and it has been shown. It's been shown to Congress you guys saw yeah, it yesterday. It's been going all over. Yeah, I mean, it, but it's necessary. I think, Jamie, it's, uh, I, I mean, because what what has happened since October 7th is this narrative that, as Guy described, that this was some sort of uh, uh, pushback against the oppressors. This was their bunker hill, if you will. And it it, it was not. This is just pure hatred. And it explains why Israel is doing what what they're doing. They have to destroy this. If they don't eliminate Hamas, they're going to be right back here over and over again because the level of hatred we saw in those videos and the expressions of absolute hate from the perpetrators, that's not going away. I mean, that is bred into them over generations. And I, I, th I think it has to be destroyed. And, you know, it is... It is unfortunate, the destruction of uh, that's going on in the Gaza, but we can't pretend any longer after seeing that film that the Palestinian people aren't complicit. These, you saw these bodies being brought back into villages 
and the people stomping on them and spitting on them, cheering and dancing with the killers. You heard, you heard one commander say, uh, bring the body uh, to the village so the people can play with it. Uh, it's just horrible, horrible stuff. And it couldn't happen if without the support of the people. Well, and that's important to point out. And there is data supporting this. The Arab World yeah. for Research and Development, which tries to promote investment in Gaza and the West Bank, uh, did a survey between October 31st and November 7th. And why this hasn't gotten more attention, I don't know. But they had 59% of the residents of Gaza and, and the West Bank that they surveyed said they strongly support, strongly support what happened on October 7th. When you add in those that support it to some degree, it comes out that three quarters of the residents right. of Gaza and the West Bank supported this. Now, I don't know if they saw or understood what we saw, but if they were in Main Street when these bodies were paraded around, and, and that was the other thing that I wasn't prepared for, was the desecration. Yes. Yes. Again, it was just, you know, godless. I just, uh, uh, the, the old best word I can, can describe. And of course they were aware of what's going on. Um, these phone calls and videos were, were going back back home. I mean, this tape was taken in large part from cell phones and body cams, cameras of the people committing the atrocities, sending it back to their families and friends uh, in Gaza. Uh, they, they were celebrating this, this massacre. I mean, it is unbelievable and unconscionable. But the Israelis saw it too. The Israelis saw it firsthand and they saw these these tapes and they've they've heard the accounts and that's why they are not going to be deterred in what they're doing and you know the folks over here keep calling for a ceasefire you know save your breath you want to help uh call to disarm and disband and destroy hamas because that's the only way it's going to end and it can't end without that or we're going to be right back here again and again uh, Nolan, just switching gears briefly, we're at the end of the time here, sort of, but your op-ed mm -hmm. that uh, Nikki Haley should maybe be the no-labels ticket. I think she be, should be on somebody's ticket in November. Of all the candidates we've seen uh, making their case for the presidency so far, I think she's head and shoulders above the group. Uh, I think she could do what, give this country what it needs. I think she would be a stable uh, pragmatic leader, and I think she could unite the people. And after seven years of what we've been through, and who knows what's ahead over the next year, uh, I think people are going to be begging for stability. Could she alienate Republicans, though, if she sort of leaves the party and goes to no labels? I mean, uh, there, are, there are a number of Republicans who are already alienated, people who have supported the Republican Party over the years, like myself, who can't vote for their presidential candidate. I'd be looking for somebody somewhere to put mm -hmm. my, my vote. Are you worried that it would give a victory to Donald Trump by splitting the vote on the right? You know, I don't think so. I think no labels. And, you know, by the way, they're going to be at the Econ Club on Wednesday. Um, mm -hmm. Caitlin Buss, my colleague, is moderating that. But I believe that uh, they'll steal, they'll take more votes away from from. Republicans and for right. Donald Trump because there's so many of us looking uh, for an alternative. We can't vote for Trump or Biden. I think uh, you rarely hear Democrats say, oh, I just can't vote for Joe Biden. 
But you sure hear a lot of Republicans say, yeah. I just can't vote for Donald Trump. And I think that's where the the uh, if anybody if this race is spoiled for anyone, anyone, I think it'll spoil the race for Donald Trump. I, yeah. I think it'll take his supporter or the hold your nose and vote Republican voters away. Nolan, thanks uh, for being there last night and 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 for inviting me and, and, and inviting me and bearing witness uh, to that film. And thanks for your writing today. We encourage people to read Nolan's column today. And uh, in the meantime, thanks for being with us this morning and have a have a good week, Nolan. Anytime. Sleep better. Yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to do that. Thank you. We're going to be talking with the Oakland County Prosecutor, Karen McDonald, coming up at 849. If you can hang in for that or rejoin us then uh, as we talk about the uh, life without parole sentence for the Oxford High School shooter. Uh, in the meantime, we want to check in with one of our favorite people, uh, University, uh, Michigan State University head, uh, Michigan State <laughs> University head men's basketball coach, Tom Izzo, and of course, WJR Senior Sports Analyst, Steve Courtney. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guy group. Hello again, everyone. This conversation with Magnum TI brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Performance Remodeling, a preferred partner of the Inside Outside Guys, kicked off another $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Request your windows, roofing, and siding quote today. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com to enter the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. All right. The uh, Spartans come up short in Lincoln, Nebraska last night, falling to the Cornhuskers, 77-70. But at the end of the day, uh, I think there were some positives. I am a cup is half full guy. Let's talk about it. Coach, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Everything is well. I I, I thought this team came out uh, coach prepared. As a matter of fact, A.J. Hogarth, Jaden Nickens, Malik Hall uh, getting together for 25 points. Eight boards in the first half. You go into halftime with a three-point lead. Uh, you had to be uh, relatively happy at that point. Well, you know, I was. I mean, they hit uh, three big threes from long, long range. Yes. And, uh, otherwise, I thought we would have been up 12 or 13, give them credit. But they hit two at the shot clock, one banked in, and um, we did shoot better. Um, I think we... We shot uh, almost 48% from the three. We shot 44 from the field and 88 from the line. But this time, you know, they hit 10 threes. And I thought five of them were pretty well covered. But uh, it was their night. They made some shots. And, uh, you know, kind of the third loss against uh, – the third loss of the five when we were up uh, three or more in the last three and a half minutes, four minutes. So – that's disturbing. There were some things that were positives, and uh, we just got to keep trying to build on them. Uh, the health of uh, both of our key guys, meaning Malik and uh, and Tyson, was uh, was good, real good. And uh, so hopefully now we'll uh, probably a week or so from getting Jackson back, and I think that's going to help some. But we got to put together an offense and defense, and we've kind of struggled offensively. And now the last two games, we've been a little better offensively, but have given up some threes. So, you know, it's uh, back to the drawing board. Uh, Coach, Malik, really the only guy who got to the line last night. I'm sure you, you don't love that. No, I don't. Uh, very good with stats. He was uh, seven for seven, but, uh, you know, only A.J., 
you know, got one. Uh, so we only had two guys that even went there, and AJ only had two. So um, really felt good about the way Malik played, but uh, we did not get to the line enough and uh, did not drive the ball enough, which was one of the game plans. So, um, you know, we got to do a better job, I think, as coaches, and players got to play a little better. And, you know, I still say we're not far from getting there, but uh, give them credit. They uh, they made some shots last night. Yeah, some unbelievable shots, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah. that. You know, that being said, Tom, um, you know, there's been some slow starts uh, for this club this year in the first half. Uh, last night, uh, Nebraska starts the second half on an 11-2 run, and then you mentioned some offensive issues. Uh, didn't have a basket, I think, for the last uh, 3 minutes, 11 seconds uh, of this tilt. Let's talk about the play of the bigs. Matty Sissoko, uh, abbreviated minutes, just 13, no points, three boards. Carson Cooper, who's been playing pretty darn well this year, quality minutes, just a couple of points in 12 minutes. Any concerns there? Yeah, there are some concerns there. I uh, I did not feel that either one of them played well in what they could do. Um, you know, the ball screen coverages uh, created some threes, and uh, you know, I was disappointed. Uh, but uh, as I always say, I'm disappointed when I look in the mirror first, and then I have to branch out. But this, <laughs> this time... Uh, not because of how I look, but because how I'm doing or what I'm doing, <laughs> how I look too, I guess. But, uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, uh, I have some concerns uh, on uh, on the job they're doing. And, uh, you know, we're going to address that this week. I'll tell you what doesn't change is Tyson Walker being clutch. When you need to get back into a game, he gets the job done. Yeah, he does. You know, I missed some good shots early for him, and he missed a big one to start the second half. A wide, wide open three. I felt like we missed some threes, and they made some tough ones, but that's what happens, especially when you're on the road. And uh, But I, I would agree with you. Uh, Tyson has been solid. He was pretty solid defensively. And, uh, you know, I thought him and A.J., I thought A.J. played really well, and I thought Malik played really well. And then now we got some offense out of Jaden, which was encouraging. And, uh, you know, we still got to get more defense. And uh, But, uh, you know, we're slowly making some progress. Not good enough for me or our fans. But uh, I think um, as I'm trying to keep the glass half full, I, uh, I do see some progress. We've shot the ball better the last two games. And uh, now we just got to home in on uh, – it gets easier, though, and now we play number six, Baylor, so it does get easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hardly. And not, and you're not at the Brez. You're at Little Caesars Arena. Uh, talk to me. There's, I mean, there's just no let-up here. No, it'll, it'll be, uh, I think we played uh, one, two, three, four, five ranked teams, and uh, this will be the sixth, and, and uh, at least four of them were in the top ten, so... Um, yeah, you know, the schedule, I said, doesn't leave any warts. We kind of know where we are and what we are. Now we got to fix it. And uh, the shooting was a big thing. I mean, let's face it, uh, when you shoot like we were shooting. So that's encouraging that we've made some progress there. And yet uh, spreading the well is going to be key. we got to get some progress with our other guys, uh, not just Tyson. Uh, you know, like I said, Jaden shot it better that that's encouraging, but uh, putting both ends together now is going to be the next key, and that's what we got to do. 
All right. And you can hear that game here on Newstalk 760 WJR. Coach, have a great week. Good luck Saturday. Thanks, Thanks Coach. Guys. All right. Take care. Uh, by the way, have you been out to the Pine Knob for the Magic of Lights? No. This is amazing. I mean, it is just the the, the biggest color extravaganza of color and light and music where you just drive through. And you do it with a car full of kids. It is so neat. It's like, look at that. Look at that. Well, we've got uh, a vehicle pass. You don't buy tickets. It's a vehicle pass. Cram as many kids in as you can and go to Pine Knob Music Theater. Be caller number nine right now, and we'll have that vehicle pass ready for you. 1-800-859-0957. 1-800-859-0WJR. Prepare to be dazzled. And for a bonus chance to win, if you're not caller number nine, text the keyword MAGIC. That's the keyword MAGIC to 800-859-0957. When we come back, Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald on the life sentence for the Oxford shooter. For the families of Oxford, it turns a page, it closes a chapter, uh, and it was gut-wrenching testimony that we heard. But in the end, the shooter got what he asked for, full responsibility and full accountability as Judge Kwame Rowe gave him life without parole. Uh, We're joined by the Oakland County Prosecutor, Karen McDonald, and I know technically it, it is a victory for the prosecution you got the sentence you were seeking, but I, I'm sure there is no sense of, of victory that comes with this, Karen. Good morning. Uh, no, there there isn't. There wasn't a celebration. Um, it's it, it. We really don't approach these things like a win or a loss. Um, I, I think the most meaningful thing that occurred on Friday was the ability to give voices to representing hundreds of victims um, on that day. And yes, it, it was some of the most gut-wrenching testimony I've ever heard. Uh, prosecutor, when Ethan Crumbly spoke, he, he took full accountability and said it was only him that did this. What does this mean for his parents' case, or if anything? Parents' case, but I... Um, I will say that his statements based on my interactions and and communications with the victims after didn't really give them much peace. So um, I, I really, as much as that sentence was what we asked for, which was, you know, a, a complicated, hard decision to make that we made you know, after many months of fact-finding and all the information possible, um, you know, of course, we're, we're pleased that, that the court um, also agreed with, with what we asked him to do. And, and I think, you know, I was impressed with his thoughtfulness. Um, that day really, for, for my team, really was about the victims. And not just the, the victims who lost children in that school that day or were injured, but all of those students, because of the terrorism charge, had an ability to speak for the first time in the country in a school shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there was a terrorism conviction. And, you know, I think we've lost, uh, we've lost sight about how important that is. Because if you listen to 
all of those kids who got up there and, you know, they, they'll, they, they won't recover. And there, there aren't any physical injur- injuries to, to show where, how they've been injured. But the data also supports that as well. You know, we, we the, the staggering number of students who have been in schools where there was an active shooter uh, and the, the trauma that they carry forward for the rest of their lives, it's time that as a, as a county and a state and a country, we pay attention to that. You say you were impressed with his thoughtfulness. Do you think that regret that he expressed in his repentance, do you think that that was genuine? I was not impressed with the shooter's thoughtfulness. I want to make it really clear. Okay. I was referring to the judge. The judge's thoughtfulness. Um, I, I yes. apologize. Yes. I want to make that very clear. Um, I, I'm not impressed with anything the shooter has done. And, and my opinion about the case and what was in the best interest of everybody um, did not change based on anything he said. Um, the judge, I think, though, sat through all of the testimony in the Miller hearing, which was also just very heavy and and gut wrenching, um, but also stayed completely focused on on those victims. And when he read his opinion, it was very clear that he he spent a lot of time looking at. At, at all of the facts in the case. And, um, you know, listen, nobody is going to, to take away any of the pain and trauma. It's impossible. We, we do as much as we can, but, but part, people who've been doing this for a long time will tell you, mm-hmm. even in terrible homicide cases, when you achieve this result that you know is the right thing, and, and that's what victims want to seek justice, there isn't this overwhelming um, experience of gratitude and peace after there just isn't because it's, the bottom line is they're still going home and they don't have their kids mm-hmm. right. or they're still walking out of there and they still have those injuries. So I never ever allow myself or anyone around me to lose sight of the fact that we aren't, we are not fixing things. We are not making their pain go away, but to be seen and to be heard and to know that as complicated and difficult as it is, the justice system did the right thing. Even though no one wants to see a juvenile sentenced to life without parole, I, no one really wants to say um, that human beings can't be rehabilitated, but there was just more than that, than just that consideration. Right. And you just can't ignore it when you sit and you listen to, to those stories, which you know we've been listening to for two years. Um, and it's, it's also fascinating how, how everyone's journey is different. Um, kids that we spoke to a year ago, uh, showed up and had different things to say because trauma doesn't look the same for everyone. Uh, Prosecutor McDonald, the parents trials begin in January. Is that correct? That's correct. And do you believe that not, I won't say successful, but there will be convictions there? You know, I'm. If there's a there's a gag order in place. I'm not allowed to. Um, okay. In which I think is the right thing. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, in every case we charge, um, we do not charge cases that we or or prosecute cases um, that that we think for any reason other than we believe there's probable cause. Um, and so I'll just leave it at that. Aaron McDonald, uh, 
I think all of us that listen to those parents and the kids testify just hope that they can find peace. They're going to need help to do that if it is even within the, the, the realm of possibility. Are they getting the resources that they need to, to get the help they need? Well, you know, that's a great question. I Something I did not consider in any of the decisions about charging is, you know, what the implications of charging terrorism um, would would reveal, which is because it was a terrorism charge, we had the ability to um, connect with the Department of Justice and receive a lot of funding for all of these victims uh, that uh, we otherwise would not have. There's a resiliency center in Oxford. There is so much outreach. Every single victim that I've talked to in two years, if they have a need, whatever it is that has not been addressed, the very first thing I do is connect our victim advocate office and also anyone anyone outside that I know um, so that we can provide those those services. And some of it is intense therapy and and sometimes it's, it's things, you know, it's it's monetary in nature. I mean, there was a whole lot of things that had to occur to make that happen on Friday. Right. Um, and it's something that we've never done before. It's something that I don't think it's done been done in the state before, um, uh, with the exception of the Larry Nassar prosecution dealing with that many victims. No, and if, I mean, but what we did see uh, was incredible courage and incredible resiliency and a level of love of their children, even though they are no longer with them, and and it's and also care for the community. Uh, Karen McDonald, um, thanks so much for speaking. I know that you're restricted to some degree, but um, thanks for sharing your thoughts on all of us. You're very welcome. All right, Karen McDonald, Oakland County Prosecutor. We'll see you tomorrow at 6. I'll talk.